Hello and welcome to another episode of the Lone Wolves Club podcast, a podcast for conversations you won't find in the church, a club for those who feel like a lone wolf. I'm your host, Nicole Porter, and for today we are wrapping up the mini-series that I have created leading up to Halloween because As I am recording this episode, Halloween is just a few days away. So if you haven't been listening recently, or if this is your first episode, for the last few weeks, I have been releasing episodes on very niche topics, topics that you definitely have not heard discussed in church. For the first episode of my little mini-series, I did a deep dive into Hell Houses, which are the Christian version of Haunted Houses. And what goes on in a Hell House, you might ask? Well, you need to listen to the episode to find out. The second episode I created in this little series is about satanic ritual abuse. I go back in time to the 1980s when a cultural craze known as the Satanic Panic took America by storm. In the Satanic Panic, it was like a modern-day witch hunt where people were suspicious of their neighbors, their relatives, their teachers, their doctors even, because everyone thought that there was a whole cabal of devil worshippers who were preying on innocent victims in order to abuse them and gain power within society. So if you want to go back and listen to that one, that is a very interesting deep dive. For today's topic, I am going to wrap up our series talking about some church scandals that you definitely probably have not heard about. Before I get into the meat of the episode, I want to give a disclaimer and say that I am not church bashing. I am not a church hater. I love the church. I believe that the church is important to Christianity, but I think it is also important to talk about the failings within the church so that we can improve because I think a lot of scandals within the church have a common theme, have a common issue, and if that issue can be addressed and taken care of, then maybe we will see less and less of these scandals. Also a disclaimer, I am not a church planter, I am not a pastor, I am not a theologian, I am just a woman with a microphone and a lot of opinions. So anyway, we are going to dive right into all of those opinions right now. So I titled this episode, What's Hidden in Darkness, because I think a lot of things within the church are hidden under a cover of darkness. And one of those stories that stands out to me when I think about stuff being hidden within the church is the story of the pastor Mike Gugliamucci. <laughs> he has a very interesting last name, so I'm just going to call him Mike G moving forward. But Pastor Mike G was the 
head pastor of a very prominent church in Australia known as Planet Shakers. He is also credited for writing a very, very popular song called Healer, which was featured on the Hillsong album, This Is Our God. Healer was the early 2000s version of Waymaker or Reckless Love. It was everywhere. And if you don't know what it sounds like, if you don't remember how it goes, you can Google it and look it up on Spotify. It's just called Healer by Hillsong, or I'm not sure if it's still attributed to them because of the scandal that Mike G found himself in. But anyway, I'm not going to play it here because I don't want to have a copyright strike against me, but it, you can just look it up on your own if you're uh, not familiar with how it goes. And I guarantee you, once you hear it, you'll be like, oh, yeah, this song, because it was everywhere in the early 2000s. So anyway, the interesting backstory to the song Healer is that, again, it was written by Mike G, Pastor Mike G, and he wrote this song to help him and essentially his congregation and essentially the world through hard health situations because Mike G was battling cancer. So he wrote the song Healer to uplift him and get him through that hard time of battling cancer. And in turn, it ended up being the anthem for many, many, many people who were also battling serious illnesses or health issues or, you know, people would pray that for their families, people would believe that for their families who were suffering from health issues. And so it was a very powerful, very moving, very important song for many, many people. And it was especially moving because when Mike G would perform this song, he would often wear an oxygen tube because he did not have enough oxygen to, um, you know, perform. And um, the cancer was, you know, just affecting him and taking his energy to the point that he needed some supplemental oxygen to help him perform and preach and all of that. And later, as the cancer progressed, he would show up on stage with um, you know, his hair missing, like he shaved all of his hair off. He shaved his eyebrows off even because he was slowly losing his hair. So, you know, he figured like many people do, why not just, you know, shave all of it off right so it's not patchy looking. And so all of that was very moving, you know, to to see this young, vibrant man kind of waste away from, from cancer to show up on stage wearing an oxygen mask to show up on stage with his hair gone. It was very, very moving and touching for people. And people contended for his healing. People even donated money so that he could pay for his cancer treatments. He was just very loved on and very supported by his community through this really intense battle with cancer. But... The problem is, the scandal is, is that he, in fact, did not have cancer at all. Not even a cancer scare. 
And that news was obviously devastating to his community, to his church, and even to his own family. A newspaper report published allegations of his lie, of his deceit. And so he felt that he had no choice but to own up to those allegations and admit that the newspaper sources were in fact true, that it wasn't just a, you know, tabloid newspaper article, but it was in fact a true story. And so while he did the right thing of owning up and telling the truth and finally admitting that he did not have cancer, he left millions and millions of broken-hearted people in his wake. And you may ask, why would he lie about such an awful thing? Why would he lie about having cancer? I mean, I think we can all agree that lying about having cancer is one of the lowest of the low, right? That is the lowest of the low thing that you can lie about. So why? Why would he lie about it? And why would he go as far as showing up on stage with an oxygen tube? Why would he, you know, show up with a shaved head and no eyebrows? Why would he go to these great lengths to make it seem like he was wasting away from cancer before people's eyes? And the answer is because he admitted that he was struggling with something that was eating away at his body and making him feel physically sick, but it wasn't cancer. Instead, it was the guilt and shame and stress he felt hiding his addiction to pornography, an addiction that lasted for 16 years until the point of his confession. 16 years. That's a long time, y'all. And so he was so racked with guilt and shame with struggling with pornography, but still getting up every Sunday and teaching and preaching about purity, about doing God's will, about being a good Christian, about walking in truth and light and freedom. He felt so much guilt because deep down he was living the opposite. He was living in darkness, in lies, in deceit, not only to his congregation, his family, but also to God. And so that shame and guilt for lying and hiding his porn addiction started to eat away at him and make him feel physically ill because stress can do that. Stress can make you feel physically ill. And so the pressure of hiding that secret was building and building and building within him to where he really was wasting away. After Mike's addiction was admitted, after all of that came out to light that he was lying about having cancer, he, of course, was asked to step down as the pastor of Planet Shakers. The elders of the church gave back all of the money that was donated to the church to go help cover his cancer treatment 
cost. And his song Healer was removed from the Hillsong album it was featured on, This Is Our God, and replaced by another song. So all of the right steps were taken, you could argue, to kind of do damage control. But the question still remains, how does a pastor, especially such a prominent pastor like Mike G., get away with this? How did he keep this sin a secret for 16 years? And why do we keep seeing so many pastors from high-powered pastors like Mike G to small-town preachers get caught up in such egregious transgressions and even crimes, depending on what they do? And that is why I wanted to talk about this, because we see it, unfortunately, so often. In my lifetime, I have attended two different churches where scandals have broken out. When I was in middle school, my family and I went to a mega church in my hometown. We attended for years and years. When one day, the head pastor was no longer there, and instead, a team of the church elders got up and told us they had asked our pastor to step down because he was caught stealing the tithe offering. In another church I attended, this was a small house church from when I lived in China, and in that church, the pastor ended up having an affair with another woman. And same thing, he was asked to step down and all of that. And that was especially hard for me because I knew the family personally. I babysat for them, stuff like that. So it was very hard to kind of watch that affair unfold within our church. So, you know, I have witnessed two churches fall victim to scandals. And even this morning, I got an email from IHOP Kansas City. So if you're not familiar with IHOP, it is not the restaurant. <laughs> it is not the International House of Pancakes, but it is the International House of Prayer. And it was a ministry that was started back in the early 2000s by a pastor named Mike Bickle. And the email that I got from IHOP, because I attended their conferences a long time ago, and I got on their email list, the e so the email I got from them was about how there have been allegations of sexual abuse brought up against the founder, the lead pastor, Mike Bickle, and the email was addressing those allegations and ensuring members of the IHOP community that the right steps were being taken to look into those allegations. And so that was as recently as this morning, you know, October 29th. So the problem of pastors, especially really prominent pastors like Mike G from Planet Shakers in Australia and Mike Bickle from IHOP Kansas City here in America it's still rampant, the scandals that these pastors 
find themselves in. And again, that kind of begs the question of, of why. Why do these men who have all of the eyes of you know, the world, in some cases, upon them, why do they fall into such obvious sin? And of course, while I can't speak for these men, I'm not a mind reader, I don't know what's going on in their head, I have a few ideas that I want to share with you. And I also want to share why I think we as churchgoers need to talk about this more. So I have a few theories as to why pastors find themselves in these kind of sins. I think one thing that stands out to me with Mike G and Mike Bickle is that both of these men were very powerful, very prominent, very influential men in their circles, right? They were the kind of men that like, if they call, people pick up, right? And so, not only that, but they are also admired, listened to, followed by thousands and thousands, even in Mike Bickle's case, probably millions of people. His, you know, reach was that far. And they are, in a sense, celebrities in their own circles, right? Of course, they're not like Brad Pitt or Angelina Jolie, but within Christian communities, within certain circles— these men are celebrities. Again, they're the kind of men where if Mike Bickle calls you, you answer. If Mike G wants to grab coffee with you, you drop everything you're doing and you grab coffee with him. And I think that can really get to people's heads. I think that can really make people feel like they can get away with anything and that they have people fooled because who who would dare question them, right? I mean, the fact that both of their families did not know that these things were occurring for years. I mean, even in Mike Bickle's case, the allegations say that the abuse has occurred for over a decade. And again, with Mike G, he struggled with pornography for 16 years. So these secret struggles have gone on in both of their lives for years. And so it's odd to me that no one noticed, you know, no one called them out, no one picked up on anything. And I think it's because these men are so prominent, they're so powerful, they're so admired, they're so loved, that it's like you don't even see them like they're human anymore. And so I think you kind of lose that critical eye and you don't regard them as a normal human like you, and you think that they're above reproach, and you think that they're above making mistakes, you think that they're above failure because they have such high positions within society. They have millions of people who tune in to listen to them, who come from all over the country or maybe even all over the world to hear them preach or to hear them sing. And so it can, you know, make it seem like they're they're larger than life. They're not even human. You know, they're celebrities. They're untouchable. So I think that's part of it. I think that can go to their head too. I think they can also regard themselves in that way that they are untouchable, that they are above approach, that they're not even human like the rest of us. And, you know, I think we see that more and more with pastors where pastors will 
you know, come out with like fancy clothing with Yeezys or Nikes or they'll have private jets or they'll have big houses and there's nothing wrong with being rich, you know, being rich isn't a sin. But these pastors are strutting around on stage like they're celebrities with their, you know, fancy watches and their cool clothing and their expensive shoes, you know, and so pastors are are almost becoming like celebrities nowadays. And so I think that really gets to them because like we see with true celebrities, so many of them struggle with the pressure of fame, right? How many people do we know who have spiraled out of control from living in the spotlight? I remember watching the Amy Winehouse documentary and one of her friends met with her the night before she was found dead and they were chatting about her life before being famous and her friend asked her, what is one thing you miss about not being famous? And Amy said, I used to be able to walk down my street and no one would notice me. No one would stop me. And I think she crumbled under the weight of the public eye, you know, under the weight of being observed all the time, of having her moves tracked all the time, of having the paparazzi in her face all the time. You know, that is really overwhelming for a lot of celebrities. And I think it's because only God should be elevated to that kind of status in our mind. Only God should be regarded as someone, you know, so interesting, so awe-inspiring, so worthy. And so I think that's why so many celebrities crumble under the weight of fame and kind of spiral out of control because only God should be worshipped to the degree that people worship celebrities. And so I think it's the same with these pastors that are becoming like celebrities. I think they crumble under the weight of fame that it gets to their head that they don't even see themselves as human anymore and people around them don't even treat them like they're human anymore. They're above reproach. They're above being called out and people forget where they came from, that they are just like them. And so I think that's partly why pastors get away with this stuff. I think another reason is because the church at least, you know, non-denominational churches, evangelical churches, Pentecostal churches, whatever you want to call them, anything except for like Catholic and Anglican churches, I think, um, don't really have the practice of confession. I think one thing that the Catholic Church does right, of, of many things, and Anglican churches, is that they built into the framework of the church a process and a way to regularly confess your sins. And we don't really do that in non-denominational churches. And now you might say, well, you know, I go to churches and they have altar calls where you can go to the front or you can go to the back and you can ask a member of the prayer team to pray with you. And I've done that before. I've been on both sides. I've gone up for prayer from prayer team members. I've been a prayer team member. I will tell you, in all of my years of being a prayer team member, no one has come up to me and confessed a sin to me and asked for a prayer for that. And I will tell you honestly, too, I have never caught up to someone on the prayer team and asked them to accept my confession. I have also led a Bible study. In that Bible study time, every 
evening when we would um, wrap up, every time when we would wrap up, we would have, you know, prayer request time where we would sit in groups of two or three and we would kind of ask each other, uh, you know, who needed prayer for what. And I will tell you, in all my years of doing that, no one ever confessed anything that they needed prayer for. So I think it's not really built into the framework of the modern day church, at least in, um, you know, non-Catholic, non-Anglican churches to confess. And I think we need to adopt that from our Catholic and Anglican brothers and sisters because confession is so important. And the Bible even talks about that, right? It talks about when it describes the, the first church, one of the tenets of the first church was to regularly confess your sins, to edify one another, to encourage one another towards repentance, to build one another up, to encourage people to press on in love and faith and good deeds. And yeah, we just, we don't do that anymore. And I think if we would regularly build in the practice of confession into church services or Bible study groups or whatever, I think people would feel more free to, to, to confess, right? It's simple as that. People would feel more free to confess their struggles and confess what they're going through and I think the same can even be applied to pastors. I think if pastors would work to cultivate a culture of confession within their church, I think they would also feel free themselves to lead the way, as they should, right? Pastors should lead the way. There's a saying that a good leader never asks you to do anything that they wouldn't do or that they haven't done. So leaders are supposed to lead the way because they have already done what they're asking the people following them to do. So a good pastor would cultivate a culture of confession and he would lead the way by confessing his own sins. And I'm not saying he has to confess his sins to the whole congregation, but he should confess them to the elders, to his staff, to his mentor. I think all pastors should have a mentor that they meet with just like most good therapists have their own therapist because they need someone to help them process all the heavy stuff they hear from their clients all the time. I think that pastors, especially head pastors, should have a mentor, right? Just as doctors need to go to their own doctor, I think pastors need to also be led by someone else. They need to have someone above them. And many do, right? Many do. But I think it's hard when it's the head pastor, like Mike Bickle, who is falling into sin. But again, I think if he would value confession, if he would value the model of the early church, where the disciples were urged to meet regularly, to confess their sins regularly, to build one another up and pray for one another, if we really modeled that, and if pastors really honed in on that, I think people would be set free to open up about what they're struggling with. And I think that would only benefit people because I know so many people feel alone in their sin because no one talks about it. No one talks about what they're really going through and what they're really struggling with. So I think those are the two things that need to be changed within our church. I think, first of all, I think pastors need to stop being treated like celebrities. And I will go as far as to say, I don't think being a pastor should be a full-time job. I don't. 
I think you should just prepare a sermon. You can do that in your free time, right? It doesn't take, you know, all week to write a sermon. Every hour of a week, you know, you can work on it a few nights of the week and then preach it on Sunday. But that still leaves time for you to go out and have a normal job. I think too many pastors kind of almost lose touch with reality and again get in that kind of like celebrity status because all they're doing is just rubbing shoulders with other leaders, rubbing shoulders with other high-powered people, and they're not just going out and working an average nine-to-five job. You know, they're jetting to this city, they're jetting to that city, they need to be a guest speaker at that church, they need to be a guest speaker at this church, they need to do this, they need to do that. It's like, no, just go out and work a normal job, work on your sermon little by little every day when you get home, preach it on Sunday, serve your church on Sunday, done. You know, I don't think being a pastor, yeah, I don't think it should be a full-time job. I don't. I think that's how a lot of pastors, again, just kind of get in their own bubble and lose touch with the reality because they're not out there working um, like the rest of us are, right? Yes, sure, they work on building a church and stuff like that, but they don't have the kind of grueling, mind-numbing, day-in, day-out job that many of us do in corporate America. So yeah, I think more pastors need to have their soul crushed (laughs) and their spirit humbled by corporate America, and then maybe they'll be more in touch with reality and feel less like you're just out there working it jiffy lube if you're out there just being an office clerk. If you're out there just being a middle manager somewhere, you're going to get humbled real quick. (laughs) Believe me, I worked in customer service for seven years and nothing humbled me or broke my spirit white like that. Nothing brought me down to reality (laughs) more than having to deal with your average American day in and day out. So anyway, I don't think pastors should be a full-time career. I don't think that pastors should be treated like celebrities. And I also think that more pastors need to make room for confession in their church, and they need to lead the way. They need to lead by example, by confessing their own sins to their family, right? I mean, first of all, it should be your spouse, I think, if you have one, especially if it is a sexual sin that you're struggling with, like watching pornography. If you're married, I think your spouse needs to be the first person that you talk to about that. And then together, you can go to counseling, you can talk to your mentor, you can talk to someone to help you get over that. And if it's a less serious thing that you're going through, again, your your spouse should be your first person that you confess to. Um, your friends, you know, to keep you accountable, your mentor. I think there is so much freedom and healing in confession and being honest with your loved ones about what you're going through, even if it is a shameful thing. And I think that's something, too, that churches need to work on. I think churches need to be better about feeling like they are a safe space because I think people shy away from confession due to the fact that they haven't felt like the church is a safe place because people are so quick to judge. People are so quick to act like they're perfect and they never sin and they would never do what you do. And I think that can really hold people back from feeling like church is a safe place to confess. And some pastors, head pastors, may even feel like that too. They may feel like 
man, I don't know if I can tell anyone about this because what will what will they think of me? What what will happen to me? And you know, I think that points to a deeper issue that pastors should not be so afraid of losing their positions or what um, consequences they will have to face. They should not be more afraid of that than they should value the commitment to their congregation to lead them well. That should be what they fear more is how they lead their congregation because the Bible even says that there is a higher calling for teachers. James 3.1 talks about that, how teachers and preachers have a higher calling and a higher responsibility to God because they have been put in charge of a group of people to lead and like with all leaders, right? All leaders have a higher responsibility because they are trusted to lead their followers well. And I do want to end by kind of giving the opposite side of the coin. I think when people hone in on church scandals, a lot of us can feel disappointed and disillusioned and we can feel like being is the church just a broken system where everybody lies and everybody cheats and you may think this pastor is great and amazing and then two decades later you find out that he's actually a pervert that goes around abusing women but i think you know we also need to be reminded that the ministry that these pastors have begun is ultimately God's ministry. And even though these men fail, God never fails, that the message of the gospel, the message of hope and truth and love prevails through these ministries, even beyond the failings and flaws of the pastor. I know it's hard for us to separate pastors from God. It's hard for us to not look at pastors who fail and get disappointed in God. But we have to remember that God didn't fail. These men did. The gospel never fails. God's love never fails. Like the Bible says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. God's love never fails. And so, I think we just need to bear that in mind and not let our hearts grow hardened to the church, to not let our hearts grow hardened towards God and mistake the failures of men for the failures of God. Like it says in the old hymn, Great is thy faithfulness, there is no shadow of turning in thee. That means God does not turn around and change who he is. There's not even a shadow of that. He is who he says he is from the dawn of time until the end of time. And so I think we can hold on to that and let that be our hope. And we can still look at the good that has come out of these ministries, that has come out of these churches. I mean, Healer is still a very beautiful song. 
And I am sure that it has touched and inspired and given hope to many, many different people. And while the story behind it might be dark and troubling, the heart of the message comes from the heart of God, I believe. And so we can cling to that. We can look for the, you know, pearls in the mud, so to speak, <laughs> because we often have to do that in life, right? The world is dark and troubling and messy sometimes, but we can still sift through all of that to find those kernels of truth, those um, pearls of goodness, those little flickers of light that give us hope. And we can press on towards God, knowing that while men may fail, while I may fail, while you may fail, God never fails. And I also want to make sure to say that I am not saying all of that in a trivial way. I am not trying to gloss over the scandals of Mike G or Mike Bickle or any other pastors that I might have mentioned. I'm not trying to diminish anyone's experience. If you, like me, have also experienced really heartbreaking scandals within your church, I'm so sorry that you had to experience that. I, I know firsthand that pain. And so, yeah, I, my heart goes out to you. And I am really sorry if you have been the victim of any kind of scandal in your church community and how that might have affected you, how that might have broken your trust how that might have damaged the way that you see the church. But again, I hope that, as I just shared, that you can be reminded and take hope in the fact that while, yes, people might have hurt you and that pain is real, that you can give that pain to God and ask Him to heal you from that. And I believe that He will. Because... Like Mike G said, <laughs> tying it all together, like he said, he is our healer. He is our comfort. He is our hope. He is the solid rock that we stand on. All other ground is sinking sand, right? I love that hymn. Um, I feel like I'm just quoting all the old hymns today. <laughs> My Pentecostal roots are, are coming out. But anyway, I want to leave you with that encouragement. Um, I feel like that was just really important to get out there that, um, you know, while people might let us down, while people might disappoint us, it's uh, not in God's nature to do that. And we can um, learn to separate the two. We can learn to separate the way that we view men from the way that we view God. And I know that's hard sometimes, but... God will see us through even that. You know, He can handle our wrestling. He can handle our doubts. He can handle our hard questions that we throw at Him. So anyway, I'm going to leave it here for now. And I also want to add an encouragement about the state of the world. Um, as I'm recording this, Israel and Palestine are currently at war. There has been another mass shooting in Maine. It just feels very dark and heavy in the world today. And so I just want to encourage you to take care of yourself, whatever that might look like, whether that's calling a friend and grabbing coffee, 
whether that's spending more time outdoors, especially now that the weather is becoming more beautiful and more cool, whether that's cooking yourself good food, treating yourself to something you've had your eye on, um, just cuddling with your pet, <laughs> cuddling with your loved one, calling your mom and telling her you miss her, whatever is self-care to you and whatever comforts you, I hope that you are leaning into that and taking care of yourself um, because, yeah, it's just really hard out there in the world today. So I pray peace and blessings to you. Take care of yourself. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at lonewolvesclub.pod. And don't forget to rate and review this episode from wherever you listen to podcasts and even on the YouTube music app now. You can search Lone Wolves Club and I'll pop up. I would greatly appreciate it. It really does help push out my content to more people so we can welcome more people into our club. Thank you so much for spending a tiny part of your day with me and I will catch you later. <laughs>